been a long time since I've sung Rock of Ages, and what it reminded me of was my grandmother, because it was my grandmother's favorite song. And uh, she lived until she was 98, uh, didn't talk a lot about her faith, but um, I knew she was a believer, and just that we, the fact that that was her favorite song, and that we find ourselves hidden in Christ, that's good, good for us. And perhaps... You know, you can think of a family member who has long journeyed in the faith, and you can draw encouragement uh, from that. Well, our speaker, not only don't I have an introduction, I don't know if he needs one, so uh, I'm going to put those two things together and invite Mark to come up. We're going to pray for him, and uh, then we're going to uh, listen to God's Word. Father, we've just sung that we cannot keep ourselves alive, that it is your world, the oxygen that you have provided that keeps us alive. And it, every breath that we take can be a statement of we owe all our life to you. And so we give you thanks for that. And thank you for Mark and for the role that he plays here at this college and the leadership that you give through him. And we ask through the work of your spirit, that you would speak through him, through your word. Encourage our hearts as we meet together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Mark. Thank you for your work. Thank you, Stu and team, for your work. I decided to switch it up here because I got so many notes spreading out. So greetings to all of you. Greetings from former alumni, former, they are current alumni, former students, the last day I've gotten two or three, I think it's three emails from different alumni who are at different places in life, and it's a delight to hear from you after you have uh, left here, so feel free to send in your notes, but these notes uh, from these were particularly encouraging about their experience here and about the time that they had and what they learned and the challenge these crazy faculty were to them in setting the bar so high. So we're delighted to offer you a premium product and it's best of all because it's centered on God's Word. So we're continuing in this series. Now, I want to do a quick review of um, where we were in the last little while uh, last week, we, uh, you know, James pointed to the, the past, present, and future. If you were to look at that in terms of the, the context of the canon, you might say the Old Testament was about the Father, the Gospels are about the Son, and the New Testament is about the work of the Holy Spirit. And it had this kind of inflection point at Pentecost. If you'll remember, and I doubt you do, the very first chapel of this series in September, I gave and I talked about in John 14, 15, and 16, the things that Jesus said about the Gospels, uh, about the Holy Spirit. However, I missed one main point. Time was limited. We were uh, short because we had so many other things, important things to do, like sending Globetrek on their team and so on, on their trip. So I held one back, and this is my opportunity to finish that little mini-series on what Jesus said about the, gospel, uh, about the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not sure that this is all that Jesus said <laughs> about the Holy Spirit, but this next one is very, very important. So, we're looking at this. Now, 
in the context of the Gospels are about the Son, and then I thought, well, then the Acts and the Epistles are about the Holy Spirit. Then I thought, I'm going to do a quick sort of review of, the, of Acts and the Epistles to see what all it says about the Holy Spirit. And rather than doing sort of the simple Google search because you might miss something, I did a page flip and skimmed the Epistles. And I had an interesting experience. Uh, Acts is full of the Acts of the Holy Spirit, full of it. I think there were 52, I did that on a Google search, I think there were 52 references to the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. That was why we took the first semester on the book of the Acts alone. Now we're going to turn and look at the rest of the epistles. And I thought, it's going to be interesting to see what these epistles are telling us about this next era, this next section of time on the Holy Spirit. And so I was skimming and, and I was reading, I think I, I read all of it, but it was just a fast, quick read to see where, you know, where's the Holy Spirit showing up in here. And what I was amazed at was I kept tripping into Jesus. Now, some of you will say, oh, obviously. Others of you knew that already. But for me, I thought we're going to find a whole lot more about the Holy Spirit. But in fact, the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing back to Jesus. And by the end of today, you're going to see that it's through Jesus that we get the Holy Spirit. There's this connection that's so important. However, I think we'll stay on track and we'll finish this series on the epistles uh, telling us about the Holy Spirit. But it was interesting to see how much of the epistles are telling the look back at the role that Jesus played in this very important story of love. If there were one summary of the canon, it is we have a God of love. If there is one story of the New Testament, we have Jesus who is Lord for us. And that is a quote from his great mind, Richie White. So let's take a look at John 14, 15, and 16 very quickly. John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Never to leave us. If you happen to come from a church that thinks the works of the Holy Spirit ended in the first century with the end of the apostles... I'd like to ask, how does that connect to forever? Don't allow that teaching to stand. It's very important to know that the Holy Spirit is alive and well, acting directly with us even today and into the future. This is even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be with you. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. You know Him. How do you hear the Holy Spirit? I hear the Holy Spirit occasionally in my own conscience. I hear Him nudge me in different directions at different times, or feel Him is really what the answer for me is. Others have heard Him. Others have seen a light. This is all good. Mostly I hear the voice, I think, of the Holy Spirit through people who walk into my office. Isn't that cool? It's seldom the same person twice in a row. But I think God might have something to tell me. Someone walks in and suddenly I'm all ears up listening. What could God want to say at this moment? Or through an email. John 14, continuing in that chapter, verse 26. I have to make sure it's up there. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Okay, so the first one said, I will ask the Father. This one says, the Father will send in my name. 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Interesting. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. In other words, this Holy Spirit is bringing peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be dismayed. John chapter 15. This is all review. I know you all remember this from from a semester ago. But when the, Holy, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Now he's going, whom I will send to you. I was going to ask the Father, now I'm going to just send him to you. You know, you've got to somehow connect this up. That Jesus and the Father are working together to get this Holy Spirit here, alive, and well in our, in our lives, in our hearts. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will be witnesses. So this is now our mission, to be witnesses to this God of love. John chapter 16. But now I am going to him who sent me, and sorrow has filled your heart. Now I am going to the Father, and sorrow has filled your heart because I've told you I'm leaving. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Isn't that interesting? I'm doing this for you. I'm going. Why? Because I think Jesus needed to be seated on the throne in the heavens. That's not actually entirely biblical. It's a, it's a gathered, you know, we're not actually told quite why he had to leave. We do know he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And maybe that's how this entire battleship is run. Maybe that's how this entire uh, war is played out, that Jesus needs to be in the throne room. But it's to your advantage. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Interesting verses, right? Interesting teaching. So Jesus has to go so that the Holy Spirit can come. I don't understand that. Nonetheless, it's for our good. John 16, verse 14. He will, the Holy, Holy Spirit, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we have access to the power of the Father, the Almighty, in the name of Christ, through the Holy Spirit. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And then John 16, verse 26, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Okay, some of you are worried about what's going to happen at the end of this year. Or what's going to happen next semester, next year in the fall? What are you going to be doing? Some of you need jobs. Every one of you needs a job, actually. These things are known, and they are available to you. We simply need to lean toward God and ask Him, what does He want us to do? Where does He want us to go? We have to be open and submitted. And today we're going to turn to John 7. But just before we get there, a quick review 
of the different ways that the Holy Spirit is referred. He's referred to as the helper. He's referred to as a comforter. He's referred to as a healer, a counselor, a guide, and the spirit of truth. That's not necessarily exhaustive, but it's not a bad look at who the Holy Spirit is. There are different pictures that are given of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the last time I, I, I spoke, I, I had a whole row of, um, of candles out here, and I tried to light one for every reference or picture of, of the Holy Spirit, and I lit them all up. And of course, my point was, there are so many things that we know about the Holy Spirit. We actually understand a lot about this Holy Spirit. We're told the Holy Spirit is like breath. In fact, I'm pretty sure that at creation, when God breathed into man and gave him life, that was the Spirit of God. And I think, therefore, it's consistent to say that is the breath in every living creature, even the ones who are not lovers of God. We're told that he was like a cloud. That was um, at least a reference to the Exodus, um, leading them by day and fire by night. That probably was the Holy Spirit. Um, there were other times, uh, you know, at Pentecost, there were the tongues of flame on the, on the heads of the different people. Um, uh, Moses, of course, walked up to the burning bush. That was probably the presence of the Holy Spirit. Then he was told that he was like wind. That was also at Pentecost. A still small voice, that was Elijah when he was looking to be in touch with God. Anointing oil, that were the different prophets anointed kings with anointing oil symbolizing the presence of the Holy Spirit on that person. And then, of course, the one picture that I just love, and that's the picture of the dove, Jesus being baptized. Let me do a small commercial for the, for the baptism that's coming early March. Uh, but Jesus was baptized, and then a dove appeared on his shoulder, and then God the Father spoke out of the heavens and said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And in John 7, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is referred to as water. As water. Now, we can spend a lot of time thinking about water. It's clear. It's cool. We could argue that it's clean or pure even. That would be interesting. We could analyze it right down to its, um, uh, you know, uh, what are those called? The elements? The table? Of, what's that called? Some of you sciences. Some of you sciences. H2, yeah, yeah, it's called the, what's that table? Periodic table, thank you. Who was that? The theologian spoke up, thank you. <laughs> we could break it down to its, theo its uh, periodic table. We could put ice in it and make it cool. We could heat it up and make tea, coffee. We can analyze it and never right quite get to it, right? But if you're dying of thirst, having all those understandings doesn't help. You've got to take a drink. You have to take a drink. In fact, whatever is in there doesn't really matter. The other thing about water is it's really interesting to watch it work. Understanding what all is inside the, the stream that's flowing down and cutting through the rocks and, and carving across these farm fields and bringing all kinds of life. That's much more interesting to see it at, at work than it is to understand what's inside the glass, isn't it? This is a risk for us in a school like this. We can end up understanding so much about a subject 
We can systematize it and break it right down, understand all the different parts about it, and never get a drink. This is what this series about is about. We want to be drinking from that. So what's going on in John, 17, John chapter 7? Well, it's a festival called Sukkot. Okay? Sukkot is arguably the big festival of the Jewish calendar. It comes at the end of the year. It comes at the end of harvest. It comes to celebrate Thanksgiving. This is their Thanksgiving. Only the Jewish people do Thanksgiving. We kind of carve up a turkey and sit around a meal, one meal, right? Some of us get together for a whole weekend. The Jewish people do Thanksgiving properly. A whole week, eight days, from Sabbath to Sabbath inclusive. Now, during that week, they are allowed a sort of a, a, a semi-working uh, week. But this is a festival of thanksgiving. This is a festival of amazing proportion. It is described in Exodus 23, Leviticus 23, oh, Exodus 23 and 34, Leviticus 23, Numbers 29, Deuteronomy 16. It's, it shows up in the Chronicles in only, I think, two places, Solomon and Hezekiah, but I'm sure that it was practiced during the time of David and others. Nonetheless, it is a great historical tradition. Remembered after the exile in Ezra and Nehemiah and Zechariah 14. It is still present today. So this might be the picture in someone's backyard who's practicing Sukkot. It's called the Festival of Booths. It's called the Festival of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Thanksgiving, Feast of Tents. There are many different terms for this. But they're all referring to the same thing. The end of the Jewish calendar, the time of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for what? A remembrance for the protection of God as the people were walking, wandering, sojourning for 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness. It's a reminder of the protection that God brought. So they are supposed to build this tent with, um, sometimes they say three walls, sometimes they say four walls, um, and then an open-type roof. Branches only. If it rains, you're going to get wet. Which is interesting in the context of water. The booths may take on different form. The streets of a Jewish community get quite crowded as people move out of their houses into these various forms of tents, tabernacles, and booths. So here we have them all crowded all over the place. Isn't that about the craziest picture you've ever seen? Or if you happen to live in an apartment, you might put it on your balcony. Isn't that hilarious? This is current today. They still do this. Remembering how God kept them in the desert. Remembering, secondly, how God came to live with them and tabernacle with them after their time foreshadowing the great tabernacle in the earliest of times, remembering Solomon's temple later. Mostly thinking about how God would come to tabernacle with us. The storyline of the whole of the scriptures might be tied into this great saying, 
I will be their God and they will be my people. I will dwell there with them. This is the story of redemption, how God wants to live among his people. I will be their God and dwell among them and they will be my people, repeated several times throughout the canon and even in Revelation. If you have not the time to build your own tent, maybe you'll rent one from these pettiboos. I think that's a funny picture. Uh, so there you go. So this is a, a shout-out to those of you who love to go camping. And a knock on the arm for those of you who don't, you should go camping. Get out into nature to remember what God has done for us in providing for us. Then there's a second part to Sukkot, and that is provision. First, there's the remembrance of harvest. This was an unbelievable festival. On the first day, 13 bulls were slaughtered. Two rams, 14 male lambs, and a male goat for a sin offering. On the first day. The second day, it dropped by one in terms of bulls to 12 bulls, and so on. So that by the end of the eight days... There would be 70 bulls sacrificed. That's a lot of meat. For some, that's a herd. 15 rams, 105 lambs, four male goats for sin offerings. The reason for all of this was partly to have a great feast, to remember the greatness of God and his provision. However, the other is these were sacrifices for the nations, whether the Israelites understood it or not. The last one was said to be for the nation of Israel itself. The previous were all for the other nations, 69 other nations that God was resembling or bringing into the story. The second part was the water festival. Every morning, in preparation for uh, the sacrifice, the high priest would go down to uh, the pool of Siloam and draw water from the pool and then come up to uh, pour it over the altar. Why was that? To remember the water that God provided in the desert. Right? There were three times. Once was when it was bitter, and God made it sweet when Moses threw in the branch. The second time, God said, you know, the people were complaining, there's no water. You know what? In the desert, when there's no water, you're in trouble. Right? They really had something to complain about, and I, I fear where I would have been on that list. I might have been in the front of the row complaining about the fact that we had no... We're dying, right? And Moses was frustrated. What am I going to do with these people? These are your people. You know, look after them. And, uh, and he had a good conversation with God. And God said, go over to the rock and strike it. This is possibly one of those settings. There were two times. The first time he's, God told him to strike it with his rod. The second time he said to speak to it. And Moses did what he did the first time he struck it, and that was a problem. And that was why Moses actually didn't go into the promised land. I'm sure there's more to it than that. But for now, this is one, said to be one of the scenes where water came from the rock. This is taken with my own cell phone. It is a beautiful, beautiful canyon. It's the wilderness of Zin, and it is one of the coolest, calmest, neatest places in the desert. You go there and you begin to appreciate how important this water is. So Sukkot is remembering the provision of water. 
for the people of Israel in the desert. But there's more, isn't there? It's remembering how God was with them in the desert. In fact, that was one of the sayings in one of those three settings in the desert um, that they asked, is God with us? And then he gave water, and that was how they confirmed that God was with them was that he got water. And again, you bring it back to the Holy Spirit, and you go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Holy Spirit living there among them, bringing them life, giving them life. It's cool. It's refreshing. It's life-giving. And it's especially important in the desert. It's important for survival. Here is a picture of the Pool of Siloam where the priest was drawing water one time. They got a picture of it. And then here is a picture of him carrying it up to the temple or where I think they do it now at the Western Wall uh, because they don't have the temple. Um, But they're carrying it up. They still do this every year. What's interesting is what happened at the Pool of Siloam. Jesus gave sight to the blind man. And this is the light of the world symbolized also in this whole thing. So here we have a picture of, of this guy bringing it up and you can just imagine the celebration. There was all kinds of music, all kinds of yelling, all kinds of shouting, all kinds of singing as this great procession of people came up. Here's what's written in the, in the Tal- Talmud. Um, he who has not seen the water drawing celebration has never seen joy in his life. Of the different festivals, there is awe at Rosh Hashanah. There is regret at Yom Kippur. There is freedom from slavery, right? From Egypt in the Passover. But Sukkot is pure joy. It is the season of rejoicing. It is the season of thanksgiving. In this setting, Jesus says, okay, so now we're talking about the eighth day. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Okay, try and imagine how sacrilegious this would sound. Like he had just stepped on all of it. He had just put a great big damper. If if any one of us were to hear that, we'd be going, whoa, who does he think he is? You understand? This was amazing. Come to him? Like, who does he think he is? This is, you know, the symbol. This is the remembrance. This is the looking forward to God being with us and coming to tabernacle with us. What is going on? I can't imagine how radical that sounded in that setting. But he had just committed great sacrilege. And the only people who would possibly become a follower would be the ones who believed he was the Messiah. I'm not sure if I'd have been in that group. I hope. Then he went on. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, John wrote this several years after Pentecost. He wrote the book of John several years later. I don't know exactly when. Uh, 60s, 70s? I'm not sure that matters too much. But he was writing on reflection. 
I don't know if John would have understood it at the time, but what he wrote on reflection was, now this he said about the Spirit. He understood, I would guess later, that what he was talking, that, that when Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the Spirit has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Probably understood later when he went, oh, yeah, remember that? Oh, yeah. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given to the wide group. I'm adding that. Because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Spirit had not been given freedom to roam the face of the earth the way he was after Jesus ascended into heaven. Now this he said about the Spirit. Now all of a sudden, all of the water references you can think of as, does this now refer to the Holy Spirit? Even when Jesus' side was pierced and water poured out, is that referring to the Holy Spirit? There's so many different possible, your eyes are going to be, oh, look at that. What about rain when it falls on us? What about all these different things that we see around us? Water coursing through the dry land, water cutting through canyons. Ooh, is that a picture of the Holy Spirit? Certainly this was a reference to the Holy Spirit. There are so many scriptures about the Holy Spirit. I left my Bible there, but we'll just use this. I did print them all out. But remember Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Running on down, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Psalm 63, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Ezekiel 36 talks about the cleansing power of water. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and, I put, and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Interesting thing about water, it cuts through sand and opens the way. It also is used to harden concrete. Mm. Isaiah 44 for I will pour water on the thirsty land, streams in the ground, and I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They will neither thirst, Isaiah 49, they will neither thirst nor hunger, for, nor will the desert heat nor the sun beat them down. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. You see it? So many references to, to water. I've got too many pages. But there, I think the more interesting, maybe possibly the most, most interesting is the idea that this water flows out from the temple, right? Ezekiel 47, then he brought me to the, back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water is flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. This is where the water gets deeper and deeper and deeper, arguably referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit all over the land. John captures it a few times in the conversation by Jesus. Verily I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and 
the Spirit. Jesus answered, this is John 4, this is the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is uh, that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I, I will give to him will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There are different pictures of the Holy Spirit. I think this might be the best one of all. I think, you know, out of, if when you have this Holy Spirit in you, what Jesus said is that out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. I think this is the test of being filled by the Holy Spirit. Do you feel a person near you who is giving you life? Do you feel that you are living a life that gives life? Or are you constantly kind of stomping on spirits around you? If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then out of us will flow heart, will flow rivers of living water. An interesting, lovely challenge for us, isn't it? Are we life givers? We should be. I personally believe we are. I believe that's our goal to be life givers. And these show up in the form of various, whoops, I went too far. These show up in the various forms of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do, do you find yourself giving advice at different times? Do you find yourself giving comfort? Do you find yourself giving encouragement? Do you find yourself bringing calm in the midst of chaos? Do you find yourself encouraging others on their way and encouraging tolerance of others who disagree? Do you find yourself being crazily generous? I believe these are evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've heard that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the first thing that's going to happen is you'll speak in tongues. Yikes. I'm not sure where that comes from. But all I've got is English. Okay, I hope I'm good at it. Uh, but I think when Jesus said, out of your life will flow rivers of living water, he meant it. It's for us to turn to him. This would be a good Jewish boy. He might have looked like Jesus, offering us a drink. And so we have this opportunity to turn to the river of life, to be refreshing people who are revived daily, to be cleansed daily, illustrated by baptism, to be an inviting people, inviting others to love the one that we love, to be filled to overflowing. So let us come to the Father Almighty through His Son, our Messiah and Lord, to receive the Holy Spirit who gives life and fruit. I've got a couple of readings here. I think I'll skip them. But um, they are from early church fathers. One was St. Arenas and the other is St. Cyril of, of, of Jerusalem where uh, these different people are trying to capture in a tight form these pictures of the Holy Spirit as uh, water. And they're very, very good. What they wrote early, this was 130 uh, A.D. And, and in the 300s, 350 A.D., these, these early church fathers were trying to explain to people 
This Holy Spirit, when he shows up, he will give gifts of all kinds. Not just the ones that are listed here or here, but he'll give gifts that fit for whatever the circumstances is. Times will change, but the Holy Spirit will show up. We just need to be submitted. So I wonder if you would uh, do me a favor and... Uh, oh, no, no, I want to read uh, Revelation. This is so, so, so cool. Revelation 21. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. We just have to come to the spring of the water of life. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea, and it shall continue in summer as in winter. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street in the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You see how this works? It's not good enough to look at it. Kind of say, yeah, it's good. You got to drink it, right? And it is so good. I wonder if you would do me a favor of standing. I want to just close in prayer. As you stand, I want you to remember that we have all the power. We have all the power of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, David, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, of Peter, James, John, and Paul. We have all of that available to us, freely and unlimited. We just need to come to Jesus in submission, thirsty for more of the Almighty. I wonder if you'd also do me the favor of holding out your hands to receive this prayer that I'd like to pray for you on your behalf or on our behalf. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the power that you have made available to us. We receive this in faith, and we ask that you would help us walk one step closer to you, whether we are a far ways away and not very thirsty. We pray that you give us thirst. Whether we're close to you and hungry for more of you, we pray that you would give us more, that we would be clear receptacles of your power, of your grace, so that we could be like Abraham, blessed so that we can be a blessing, so that we could be a blessing to the nations around us, whether they're neighbors or around the world. Bless us, we pray, with your Holy Spirit. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.